Well, my brothers and sisters, today in our gospel, we hear of the importance of having a heart that's generous towards God and what really matters. This is a heart that's open and that's not hardened. And so also we have in our responsorial psalm, if today you hear his voice, harden not your hearts. And my brothers and sisters, this exhortation from our scriptures today is very relevant because there is an important topic I need to talk about, and it's a topic that very well could cause us to harden our hearts towards one another, towards the church, towards God even, towards God even. And if we notice in our bulletin, we've got a letter from Bishop Matano, and he's addressing a very serious issue that he wanted all the pastors to speak about, uh, at least before the 14th. Because on the 14th of this month, the Child Victims Act is going to lift, this is an act that was passed a few months ago in New York State, uh, pertaining to institutions in relation to child sex abuse. And uh, so what's going to happen on the 14th is the statute of limitations is going to be lifted, and it, victims uh, who have credible you know, accusations are going to be able to bring those allegations up to whatever institution it is, not just the Catholic Church, but also pub other public institutions and private institutions. And uh, so it's pretty much an unlimited window. This is going to be for that one year, of, one year of time of whatever, however long ago this happens. You know, if you're still alive and it happened in the 1940s, hypothetically speaking, then you could bring a charge up and, uh, and receive some kind of recompense. So it's a, it's a very serious issue, and uh, the, um, the media attention is going to be, is anticipated at least, to be pretty, you know, lively. So the bishop thought it would be a good idea to, to be talking about this ahead of time, and so I'm addressing it. Some people at this time might feel, well, you know, the Catholic Church gets picked on, and in a certain sense, although this legislation really does pertain to all institutions in New York uh, State, uh, the media attention is going to be focused on, on the Catholic Church. There's no doubt about it. Uh, but I don't think that's completely unfair or unreasonable because priests, I think rightly so by everybody, should be held to and are held to higher standards. And so it's kind of, it doesn't, it's not completely crazy that the, the highlight would be on, on the clerical abuse as opposed to abuse by lay people in other institutions. And it's a time, especially for priests, to not be defensive, but to say, okay, we have members of the mystical body of Christ who are suffering. And uh, no matter how old they are, abuse of this nature affects people, sometimes for the rest of their life. And it's very serious. And so we need to recognize that whether these brothers and sisters of ours are continuing to practice their faith or whether they're not, and probably most of them are not, they're still our brothers and sisters in Christ. They're still suffering members of the body of Christ. And we need to be in solidarity with them. But also, you know, we need to be in solidarity with each other because, as St. Paul says, when one member of the body suffers, we all suffer. Okay, and so these, these bad things that were done they affect everybody. They affect every single person sitting here. And so it's a time not to harden our hearts, but to really have soft hearts and to show solidarity with each other and to love one another and to support each other. 
Um, the, another, another some practical questions that I, I think I need to address is, what will be the financial ramifications of all of this? They're going to be pretty serious. We anticipate the financial ramifications being very serious. It's going to be directed at the diocese. And so it's important to know that all of the parishes are, as far as finances are concerned, they're independently incorporated. And the diocese is its own independent corporation. The lawsuits will be leveled at the diocese, not at the parishes. That's important to really get across to people. The consequences financially will be serious. And uh, will it affect the parishes maybe in an indirect manner? I don't know what that will entail or what that will look like, but I anticipate maybe insurance premiums going up, things like that. Okay? I don't know all the details. But as far as direct impact is concerned, it's the diocese that will absorb it and not the parishes. I think that's important for us to know. Uh, Bishop Matano, I believe even today, is putting out a video message to all of us. I'm not mistaken, I think it's today. And uh, there's also fact sheets and different information that will be put out and that will be available in, to all the parishes throughout the diocese. So that will be forthcoming soon enough. Also, we're going to invite some representatives from the diocese here to give an open house talk. So uh, Doug Mandalero, who is our media person, and then Deb Housel, which probably a lot of us here know Deb. Uh, she's been doing very good work over the past few years with victims assistant, as a victim's assistant coordinator. So she's going to come as well. And uh, Doug and, and Debbie will be able to um, kind of answer questions a lot better than I can. Okay, They know more about it than I do. It's important to know, though, that we have as a church, especially in America, have been taking very aggressive steps to deal with this problem. So we all remember the, the fallout from the Dallas, I'm sorry, from the um, Boston scandal back in 2002. I remember it very well. It got a lot of media attention, uh, as, all we, as, as we all do, I'm sure, remember it. Right after all of that scandal, the United States bishops put together what they call the Dallas Charter, or the Dallas Protocols. And uh, they meet every year in Dallas, Texas. And so it was at that yearly meeting they put these protocols together. So, for example, it's uh, mandatory for all dioceses, all parishes and all dioceses. If there's a clergyman or an employee of the church, there's one a single credible accusation that's brought against them. They're removed from ministry or they're removed from employment. Okay? So just one. It's one strike and you're out. Also, background checks for all clergy and all employees. And now the Diocese of Rochester goes one step further. We do background checks and mandatory training for volunteers as well. So any volunteer in the parish that's working with other people on behalf of the parish, they have a background check and they have uh, some kind of training. The training is not extensive, but it's enough to raise awareness of the issue. And it, it, does the, it does the job pretty pretty good, I think. Um, also, too, the Dallas Charter, what it did, it, it, ma it mandated for all dioceses to have a review board set up that consists mostly of, I think it's all of lay people, and they're, they're um, experts in law and criminal law and psychology and whatnot. And these review boards work it along with the bishops 
so that if there's any credible accusation brought against anybody, the review board goes over it and looks at it and then gives a recommendation to the bishop. Practically speaking, no bishop ever differs from the judgment of the lay review board. Practically speaking, it doesn't happen. It hasn't happened, and it really doesn't happen. So these lay boards are a way of keeping the clergy in check, and it's, it's been working. It works well. Also, too, there's, a uh, again, mostly lay-constituted cons- um, review board set up at the national level. And this review board's job is to basically audit all the dioceses to make sure that they're in conformity with these protocols that were put forth back in 2002 in the Dallas, the Dallas Protocols. Now, we have to understand, though, that a lot of these common-sense institutional reforms were already being put into effect by dioceses individually of their own accord back in the 90s. And in my mind, as I read the history of all of this, the 90s was the big era. It's in the 90s that there were a, a large amount of accusations that were reported. And so this was a major issue of awareness raising amongst the leadership in the different dioceses. And in the 90s, these different protocols started to go into effect. The Dallas Charter in 2002 just made it man- made them mandatory for all dioceses and kind of brought uniformity and consistency to the whole process. But I know that in the Diocese of Rochester, we had been putting these sorts of things into effect in the 90s. Um, it's, it's kind of important to know, I, I think, that uh, also... In conjunction with the Dallas Protocol, there was a study that was uh, launched. The bishops asked an independent scholarly think tank called the John Jay Institute for Criminal Research to put together a very extensive study on clerical sexual abuse. And they reviewed, what they did is they went to all the dioceses and they said, okay, give us all the information from your files about priests who have had... credible accusations brought against them. And so they did that for the entire United States, going all the way back to the 1950s, all the way up until then when the study was done, which was like in 2004. And uh, there was, the results of that is that all of the credible accusations, there was a big lump of them in the 1970s. So the 70s was the heyday of this wickedness. And it, by the time you get to 1982, there's a very sharp drop off. And then after the Dallas Protocols went into effect in 2002, there's even more of a sharp drop-off. So something that you won't necessarily hear from the media is that, for example, in the Pennsylvania Supreme Court uh, investigation that was done, it was about a year ago now, uh, really horrible, horrible stories that were brought out of that. That investigation, the results were essentially identical to the John Jay study meaning that the bulk of the problems took place in the 1970s, late 60s, 70s, and then in the 1980s, it was a big drop-off. I don't mean to minimize any of this, but I do need to say that we're living in a different era. This is a different, it's apples and oranges. Today, it's not like what it was back in the 70s. It just isn't. So I think that's important to know, and I don't know if that, Truth will be, will be made clear in the media. You know, people will kind of get the idea that all of this horrible stuff is happening every day in every Catholic parish all over the U.S., and it's really not the case. So that's important to know. More important, my brothers and sisters, than these common-sense institutional reforms 
is the need for a spiritual renewal, first and foremost, from the clergy. And the truth must be said that in the late 60s and in the 70s, there was a lot of moral relativism that was embraced by the clergy, especially in relation to matters dealing with sex. Okay? And it wasn't a direct cause of these abuses, but it's, there's certainly a correlation between the two. Okay? So the clergy themselves really need to embrace Christ's teaching on these matters. It's very, very important. And that has been taking place, especially since John Paul II, uh, Pope John Paul II. That has especially been the case that that's taking place. More renewal, more conversion is needed amongst the clergy, no doubt about it. And all of us together, my brothers and sisters, we need to be renewed. Okay, priests come forth from the laity, all right? And uh, so we all together as the body of Christ need to be, be, need to be renewed. We need to have, as we hear in our scriptures today, those soft hearts open to the Lord, open to the suffering of one another. And uh, we, we need to, as, as I said before, uh, embrace those now more than ever who are suffering as a result of the sins of some clergymen that, that took place. Um, we need to stay close to one another as an individual. We need to stay close to the church as a whole, too, as well. It's not going to do anybody any good to say, well, you know what, I've had enough of the Catholic Church. It's just going to be me and Jesus here on out. Okay, I can, I can have my religion all, all alone by myself. Okay, that's not the religion that the Lord Jesus Christ came to give to us. He came to give us his love expressed first and foremost in the sacraments, most especially the sacrament of the Holy Eucharist. And so Jesus gave us the Mass. The Mass is not a private solitary affair. The Mass is the worship of the body of Christ as a whole. And this is what Jesus has for us. It's even deeper than that, though. It's not a set of rituals that human beings do. It's nothing less than the worship of Jesus Christ himself, of God the Father. The infinitely perfect worship of Jesus that he offered to God the Father on the cross is represented and made concrete in the here and the now every time we celebrate Mass. That is an amazing, amazing mystery that we have the privilege of entering into every time we assemble and gather together as the body of Christ and worship uh, and celebrate the Eucharist. What an awesome gift. Let's never, ever abandon that. No matter, hard, no matter how hard things get, our hearts need to remain soft towards one another and towards uh, especially the Eucharist and the Mass. Now, this book here is a, a little book called Letter to a Suffering Church. It was written by... Uh, Robert, uh, Bishop Robert Barron, and uh, it's a very good book that kind of gives us a sort of a, a framework, a spiritual uh, framework within which to deal with this kind of, these issues in this crisis. And we're going to be getting copies of these in, uh, in the next week or two weeks or so, and they'll be free for us to take home, and I encourage us to read uh, this book. Very, very good, very encouraging. Um, and his message to us in the book is that we need to now, more than ever, to fight for goodness and holiness in the church. And we need to trust in the power of Christ. 
the power of Christ, no matter what, the sins that we have and that the sins that are, that are in our midst, the power of Christ prevails and cannot be stopped. Even this whole incident, it's a, it's a period of, uh, of purging, really, and chastisement, but purging and cleansing, it's a manifestation of the power of Christ. I've said this in other homilies before, the fact that our society as a whole, broadly speaking, has such compassion and empathy for victims and for children, that's a result of Christianity. Okay, before Christianity, people didn't care about victims. You're a victim, you're weak. Okay, in the ancient pagan world, they didn't care about children. Children were like property. Okay? So it's Christianity that is really, and the power of Christ working in society that has brought about this concern for children, for victims, and a desire and a passion that justice would be done in this matter. The power of Christ is also unstoppable, and it is, in, it is operative through the sacraments, through the Mass, through the Eucharist, in the production of saints. Okay, That's what's not going to get the media attention. You're never going to hear a news reporter talking about the saints that the Eucharist produces every week during Sunday Mass. The saints that are sitting maybe to your right or to your left. These are, this is the unseen, invisible, unstoppable power of Christ working despite human sin and failings. So my brothers and sisters, now more than ever, Let's have those open hearts, those soft hearts. Love one another. Show solidarity for the victims, for all the members of the body of Christ who are suffering. And let's trust in the power of Christ that he has and he will prevail.